From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Perhaps the fastest growing low-wage occupation in America and in central New York is that of home health aid. An occupational health researcher from Upstate who knows quite a bit about this job is Jeanette Zeckler. She's the Director of Research and Special Projects for the Occupational Health Clinical Centers at Upstate, and for several years she's been involved in the Low Wage Workers Health Project. Thank you for coming on HealthLink again. You're welcome. It's great great to be here. Let's give listeners a little background. You're um, part of the Department of Family Medicine at Upstate, and this Low Wage Workers Project is entering its fifth year, and there's also a collaborative uh, effort with uh, Syracuse University's Aging Studies Institute, right? Right. So the Occupational Health Clinical Center serves people who get hurt or are sick from their work, and we serve um, patients in 26 counties. But we also have a prevention side of our operation in which we do public health projects. The Low Wage Workers Health Project, now in its fifth year, thinks about um, the workers working conditions of low-wage workers. And that um, one is now under a New York State Department of Labor um, grant expansion. And part of that project, you know, I was... I was interviewing and having focus groups of low-wage workers, and I kept running into home health aides who were struggling with their work-related health. And so as a part of my dissertation, um, my PhD studies, I um, developed a study to look at the stresses that work um, at work for home health aides. Okay, so tell us um, what is a home health aide-like definition and what the job entails? So home health aides in the state of New York, and it does vary by states, they do the basic, um, very lowest um, skilled nursing. So they will be doing bathing, um, feeding, maybe um, coming in and making sure that the person's health status is is you know uh, stable. They will not be administering medication. They do serve under the um, supervision of registered nurses. So they are able to just carry out, um, like I said, the most basics, bathing, cleaning, uh, basic um, nutrition, and those sorts of activities that really make a difference in the um, health care of especially older people or disabled people. Is there any licensure or uh, certification required, or can anybody be a home health aide? Well, there's a lot of this work done informally, of course, just among family and friends um, for various sorts of arrangements. But to do this in New York State, there's a 10-week training, and then you um, do become uh, eligible to do the work officially. Like That way, uh, Medicaid can be billed, and Medicare, the billing um, for the services, can can take place. And then this work usually takes place um, through agencies that that manage uh, home health. Okay. And so the agency would place um, a home health aide in someone's home, someone who wants That's health. right. That's right. Under the, under the um, you know, care of the, the nurse. And ultimately, the doctor orders these things. So the doctor will order this, the registered nurses supervise, and then home health aides carry out the basic work. Um, what is, when we say low wage, what, what do, um, home health aides generally start out making? Home health aides in this central New York region make some of the lowest wages that I hear about. So they make a minimum wage, $10 and 70 cents up to 11 or $12. In some cases, if they have been doing it for many years, they may approach a $15 mark, but it's generally quite low paid. And the arrangement is generally per diem. Uh, very few have a full-time job where they're offered benefits. It's often very um, sporadic scheduling. Okay. So what have you found in terms of numbers and, and who who are the people that are doing this type of work? 
Well, um, most people doing this type of work really do it because they love it. And they somehow have connected through their lives with caring for people at home, um, either a family or a friend. And then they decide that this is something they enjoy doing and find great fulfillment. There are mostly all women and much more, uh, there's an overrepresentation of people of color in these, in these jobs. And is it young or older? Or? Interestingly, um, you'll very often find middle-aged women doing this work or even older women. So there's a characterization in your mind of low-wage work being with young people. But very often, this is not an entry into a, a career that has a strong path. So it's um, often women entering the workforce at oh. middle age. Okay. So uh, what types of stressors come with this sort of a work well, environment. in the research that I did, I really leaned on some stress models that we know about in occupational health. We know that when there's high demand and there's low control over what you're doing, you have little say in how it's being done. And even worse, when there's um, lack of support, that that creates a situation where the stress at work impacts health negatively. So we do see that in the home health, you know, Aid, aids work. There's a high demand, there's strong caseload, there's, it's difficult work physically and mentally. And then, you know, sometimes the, the home health aid is isolated from the agency or from their supervisor and they are left on their own a bit, you know, out in the community. And those sort of conditions set up uh, high stress. And they also experience um, what some call the effort reward imbalance, where they're doing so much work for so little coming back to them that they can tend to feel strained in that way. There's a strain where it's just not worth doing this for this money. But yeah. there's got to be some some good to it, too, because mm -hmm. um, some people might like the what what you might call isolation, but they they might see it as independence and they like being they don't want to be in an office. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot of people who report that. They like the independence. They like to um, go in and feel that they have um, sort of charge of the care of the person that they're taking care of. And they do set up quite a, a setting for the person to um, either carry out the end of their life or engage in healing, whichever process is going on. Often it's palliative care, often end-of-life care. And the home health aid brings a lot to their work. And, and they do enjoy the sense of satisfaction that they're doing what's something important. And I imagine um, there can be some pretty close relationships that form, mm -hmm. too, um, between an aide and the family or the loved one that they're taking care of. So. Absolutely. They, they do form the emotional bonds. And one of the things they'll say to me is, you know, listen, I'm human. They teach us to have some objectivity, but we really just can't. We do make these emotional connections. Mm -hmm. But they're also able to disconnect in a professional way as well. It's not as though it's their own family in the end. Right. So most aides, as you said, are employed by an agency. Are there stressors that agencies are under um, that sort of maybe spill over onto the aides themselves? Yeah, I mean, a part of the research that I did was to interview home health agency leaders. And those agency leaders were able to just clarify some of the reasons why the aides are placed under those kind of pressures. The pressures that they face, um, especially around reimbursement. So why the low pay? Well, they're only reimbursed so much from Medicare and Medicaid. And so it's difficult for them to, you know, raise their wages. And um, they try to employ reward systems and that they're only partially helpful. Um, I think that when I look at some of the strains that could be easily reversed and changed around, um, we see agencies that have the registered nurses 
in a culture where they have a high sort of authority structure over the aides. And there may be many good reasons for that. However, many of the aides feel disrespected on the job, and that adds to that um, strain. And again, these job strains lead to chronic disease uh, states, right? So hypertension, um, there's connection between um, even reduced immune function when people feel under these strains. I mean, those are um, based in literature, not just an intuitive sense that this mm. stress isn't any good. Um, it's actually connected to people's long-term health, and that's why it's important. And even connected to injury rates. So injury rates are higher where we see strain higher, job strain and stresses. I think it's obvious person can't keep their mind on their job as well as they could, and other sorts of injury prevention isn't happening. And so then um, the stress actually is implicated as a part of the explanation for, for injury rates. Is there something that can be done to improve, um, improve that through training or? Yeah, I think that, you know, the upshot of the studies that I conducted, which I did interview um, home health aides across the state, upstate New York, and um, the agency leaders. And in the course of that, I also um, engaged in what they call participant observation. So I was able to hang out at these agencies and just sort of see what's going on, really. And in the course of that um, process, I really found some places that were conducting best practices for management, best practices for training. And if we improve the training and the management styles and approaches, I think we would definitely reduce the kinds of job stresses that impact health on, hum- on home health aides. Well, let me ask you this. If, if, uh, if one of our listeners is considering a job in home health aid as a home health aide, um, do you have any advice for how they can go into that job and, and get, the, get the most out of it and, and have sort of a safe way of working? I think the most important thing is to get good training. There's a number of training, you know, outlets here in, say, in Syracuse, New York. And then connect yourself with an agency that has fair standards, that upholds, um, that doesn't allow for discrimination on the job, that has a strong uh, set of home health aides that are already connecting with their in-service trainings. And I think that finding that mix of uh, an agency that has strong values that can match your values because you care about people is why you want to go into this. I think that would be the best path. And, and to realize that the home health aid can be an entry to a longer path where someone would start there and then seek out advanced home health aid training, become an LPN eventually, and those sorts of um, pathways to better better career options to elevate you know, yourself is is possible through home health aid, where it may not be through other low-wage jobs. Other low-wage jobs may not have the same opportunity for pathways. So it could be a way to sort of show you whether um, this field is something that you would Mm -hmm. excel in or that you would enjoy. The home care will be expanding as we go. So we know that we have a baby boom going on, and so, you know, that went on. (laughs) And so those baby boomers are aging now, and the expansion of um, our healthcare system is such that we would like more people to be in their homes longer and recovering at home because people are more comfortable there and that's where they want to be. So to be part of that, you know, ongoing push to um, have have those sorts of settings, I think is is exciting and can be a good entry level. But to watch for decent pay and some places are unionized and that may uh, also enhance your employment arrangement which is what we say is, you know, your sort of your agreement, what you agree to do for the money you're making. It sounds like um, when you say, you know, choosing an agency that matches your values, it sounds like that might be as 
difficult to do um, as it is for a, a person to find a good home health aide. Mm. Um, it, word of mouth, um, recommendations from friends. I mean, how do you go about doing that? Well, I think there are some major agencies in town. If you Google um, home health care, Syracuse, New York, you'd find some of the larger agencies in Syracuse. I think um, there is plenty of word of mouth. They certainly could call the Occupational Health Clinical Center, and I might have some more insight as to where someone might try um, to, to, to work in this field. But generally speaking, it's kind of like, you know, you have to enter any job with eyes wide open and think about the arrangement you're agreeing to. Do you have enough transportation? Do you have enough support in the workplace to actually carry out the job that they're asking you to do. And if you ask enough questions about that and you feel like you can connect with the agency leaders there, I mean, there are plenty of people uh, in the leadership of these agencies that are interested in recruiting and retaining uh, home health aides um, over the long haul. So they Great. they definitely want to s- want to do well by their well, people. Good advice. Thank you for being here. My mm-hmm. guest has been Jeanette Zeckler, Director of Research and Special Projects for the Occupational Health Clinical Centers at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.